todo el mundo. Pero eso fue realmente... Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary, The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. Author Stephen B. Armstrong joins me today to talk about his new book, I Want You Around, The Ramones and the Making of Rock and Roll High School. My boyfriend and I actually dressed up as Joey Ramone and Riff Randall for Halloween last year, so I do have a soft spot for that movie. But I learned a lot from reading Stephen's book, and I hope it will also intrigue newbies to watch the movie. It really is a unique cult film, so let's dig in. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Hi. Glad to be here. I read your book, I Want You Around, and I absolutely loved it because I'm a big fan of the movie and the Ramones. Um, so I'm wondering, though, how did the proposal to write I Want You Around come about? Was it presented to you by your publisher or did you pitch it? Uh, I pitched it with the help of an agent. I had uh, I've been working for many years on the film producer Roger Corman and uh, his, the movies that he uh, oversaw the production of, particularly in the 1970s, when he owned a company called New World Pictures. And I had done a two-volume series as an editor of interviews with people who worked for Roger Corman, including several of those who worked on Rock and Roll High School. I'd also written my own uh, written a book about Paul Bartel, who played Mr. McGree, in the film, the uh, the bald music teacher who becomes a fan of the Ramones by the end of the, the movie. And uh, all those factors sort of came together. I had some attention in the in the press and an agent reached out to me and said, uh, let's let's try to get you a book uh, with with a, a, a higher end publisher. And I said, sure, we tossed around ideas and I finally decided, well, you know what? Roger Corman movies are what I know very well. New World Picture movies are what I know very well. And the, my favorite of all those movies uh, is Rock and Roll High School, and uh, which I'd first seen when I was 14 years old on when it was broadcast on MTV. Uh, and this was, well, see, I'm 53 now, so almost 40 years ago. And 
Uh, so I, I worked a proposal. Uh, the agent, his name is Lee Sobel, uh, sent it out and it got picked up by Backbeat Books, which it has a, a, a prominent history as a publisher of uh, pop culture music themed titles. And uh, and I, so when the contract was offered, I I signed immediately and um, just got to it and, and wrote the book. Uh, I had an 18 month um, window. So, you know, did, did extensive research and preparation, wrote the book and then uh, uh, copy copy edited it, it with the assistance from an editor at the publisher. And then it eventually came out in September 2023. Well, congratulations on that. That's quite an accomplishment and so much work. Thank you. I want to kind Thank of you. take you back to your 13 year old self. Um, what did you think when you first saw Rock and Roll High School? Had you heard of the movie before and wanted to see it? Or was it just something brand new that was sprung on you via MTV? Well, back then, uh, there, there was a, there was a, back then in the, in the 80s, mid 80s in, in Maryland, outside of uh, Washington, D.C., where I grew up, you know, hardcore and skate music were, were big things. And I had, was a skater uh, and we we were we my my buddy and I back then were getting into the the punk rock scene quite a bit. We were we would we would skate to David Bowie and we would skate to the Clash out in front of our houses with a boombox. And I just became more and more interested in uh you know punk rock. And uh I was listening to a lot of Lou Reed back then, you know, the the Lower Manhattan uh punker alter not punker, but alternative rock and roll hero of his own uh, sort and and all those factors were kind of conspiring and one of our friends another skater said you know the ramones are really good and so that started going playing in the boom box as well and uh and that same friend who passed on the tapes like the ramones the first record and leave home uh also uh the the rock and roll high school soundtrack and uh mtv was was uh broadcasting uh how do you say cult movies on on sunday nights at that time as an alternative to you know uh, video programming music uh -huh. video programming and watched it uh snuck down in the basement on a on a sunday night watched it and was just like wow the music's great the 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 comedy is funny and the whole anti-establishment theme really appealed to me I was just having some trouble making the, the the suburban scene. I just was not comfortable in that. I always sort of thought I'd be better off growing up in a city uh, near rock and roll. And I think Riff Randall, the the uh, main character in the film, she and I share that that sentiment. And uh, so I connected at the movie musically, uh, I like you know comically and and also uh, uh, personally in the sense that it made me laugh. It made me kind of feel like rocking out, and I really liked the Riff Randall character. As an adult, though, you still love the movie. So is that a nostalgia thing, or have you found different aspects of the film to relate to as a more mature person? I think uh, knowing so much about the business of independent film from my scholarship made me become fascinated in, in the movie in another way. Just that, you know, here with, with against great obstacles, the director... Uh, Alan Arkish and the producer Mike Finnell of the movie, working under Roger Corman's supervision, of course, uh, really went against all odds to turn out something that that 
is just high quality product. Uh, and so that, that part of the business part of the story now fascinates me in my fifties, but I also connect to the themes. I, I have a sort of preference sometimes for movies that are politically fearless and, uh, You know, they don't make them so much as they did back 50 years ago, but there were these sort of international espionage films that that were also uh, like movies like Z and um, The Battle of Algiers and Day of the Jackal that, you know, talked about tough, tough, tough issues uh, that result when you have authoritarian systems in place. Uh, of government. And, and I see echoes of that in rock and roll high school as well, where you have the kids who are the dispossessed, the vulnerable, the weak, and they're standing up to a sort of Nazi autocrat. In a, and, and so as someone who likes it when the bullies are overcome, whether it's in a, in a high school comedy or if it's in, you know, politics, Like this whole thing, it would be great to me. It would, maybe I'm going outside the scope of the conversation, but I really don't like Vladimir Putin too much. I think he's a bully on the planet, and Yeah. He's a he's a he's a miss uh, Tokar type, and so I see echoes between the 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 low budget punk rock comedy from '79 with with world events now, and so. For that reason, that for one of many reasons, the movie remains evergreen uh, for me. I, I always like it. It was just on
critic of of society, even though he was a, a young young guy and he was making a silly movie. Uh, knowing what I do about Alan, he objects to that same sort of bullying and repression and oppression that that we oftentimes find in our society, uh, even from from government to school, and and his premise is somewhat revolutionary with the movie that if you know we're not going to take it uh, uh that that's the the attitude of the film when when the the people are trying to dominate us the kids exemplify that tendency well disc, disco music is is escape music it's pleasure it's it's rhythm it's it's uh uh you know a, a kind of confection it's not revolutionary music in in the sense of this is what the people in the uprising would be marching to whatever the uprising may be and and to to put it more succinctly uh alan said you know you, you don't have a revolution uh, set to disco music and i and i think for that uh, same yeah. reason if if the movie had gone the way roger intended it to roger corman intended it to 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 be disco e uh it, i don't think it would be be uh uh, talked about today you, you yes we talk about uh uh saturday night fever as the, the the disco movie that that people remember there were dozens of them that came out and and you know you had a really good movie in in saturday night fever that had some some well-written disco songs that appeared on the soundtrack and about disco dancing and it all looks great and it was a high budget fairly high budget film compared to rock and roll high school it's remembered, I think, though, more for just the story of a working class scrappy guy finding his himself through dancing, existential. And 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 rock and roll high school is about thwarting the oppressor. And it's it's just it's not it's not about personal discovery. It's it's about fighting the power. And 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 punk rock works better for that, in my opinion, than silky, string laden uh, uh, disco music. Yes. I think you answered this already, but I do have a question about Roger Corman, because um, Roger Corman produced hundreds of B-movies over the years. I mean, I countless. I don't even know how many, but uh, a few have stuck around as cult classics. But um, what is it about rock and roll high school that you think has given it such a long life that people still want to read books about it? I think it, it has, has much to do with... Roger's ability to recognize talent. And here is the, the film producer who gave early opportunities at, at filmmaking to Francis Ford Coppola and Peter Bogdanovich. And uh, when he started New World Pictures in 1970, Roger, who had long been a director, a director himself of many, many um, low-budget films, used that knowledge and and had worked with so many people, he had developed this skill in, in being able to to pick out who is really good at their, their skill set in the filmmaking process, editors, uh, writers, uh, directors, producers, what have you. But uh, I've got to try to get back to the thought here. He's able to, to get to the talent and he is able to appeal to their desire to work to get experience on real productions and so he didn't have to pay them anything so you had enormously talented people in many of these films 
working, you know, and stuff that's ostensibly regarded as, as trash, motorcycle movies, biker movie, I mean, motorcycle in the future movies, motorcycle movies in the Hell's Angels scene, on and on and on. They're, 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 they're pulpy, trashy films for the most part that made under incredibly, with incredibly tight budgets by people, again, like Alan Arkish or Francis Ford Coppola or Jonathan Demi or Penelope Spheris, these people with immense talents working for little money, getting their opportunity and, and the, the creativity, the inventiveness that, that money um, restrictions impose upon people who are resourceful yielded these, these some, some really, really great movies. And, and uh, I, the, the, the funniest of the, the lot, I think is rock and roll high school. And also it's, it's a movie that for someone who's, who, who has a, a kind of a, affection for film history will recognize that it's more than a story of a teen uprising uh, to, set to the sound of a punk rock band. It, there, there are um, allusions and references to Jerry Lewis movies, The, the Nutty Professor and and uh, Frank Cashlin's uh, The Girl's Gotta Have It and, and on and on and on. These sort of uh, movies produced by auteurs, those, those authors who are able to put commercial, to put their own personalities into a commercial product, and um, it's it's fascinating in that sense. It works at two levels: one as a as a pure entertainment, but also as a, as a as a as a sort of composite of the um, filmmakers' passions and obsessions, and their 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 just the fun of spotting references. I think the same thing happens in a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies. You're like, oh yeah, I saw that in this 1974 film, or oh look, he's he's shouting out to this TV show from the 80s, whatever it may be. That well, Alan Arkish and his his team of of creatives was doing something similar there. It, it's 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 sort of like uh, hip hop music when you hear an isolated sample. And then you want to go find it's no, it's rather it's a sample that has been worked into the composition and you want to get back to the original source. It's fun. It's fun in, in a different way than than just uh, jokes and and um, catchy songs. Well, I loved all the tidbits and trivia that you dug up for your book. Um, was there mm -hmm. anything that you uncovered during the research or writing process that surprised you? Something you uncovered that you didn't know? even as a big oh. fan of the movie. Yeah, and 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 also a, a big fan of the the band too. I mean, yeah. there's some some things like uh you know, I I I there there's stories that were handed down over the years that uh say you you, you probably remember how Siskel and Ebert were the 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 sneak previews uh the two Chicago uh newspaper critics who had had a show and the story was always that it was Roger Ebert who recognized early that uh, Rock and Roll High School would have uh, a long life as a cult film, the way that Rocky Horror a Picture Show had, mm -hmm. or or, or poly uh, not polyester, uh, Pink Flamingos, John Waters' Pink Flamingos, and yet it was it was Gene Siskel who did that. And so you just say, oh, you know what, for 15, 20 years or whatever, I always Roger Ebert has always been getting this credit, but it was Gene Siskel. And then, you know, finding little strange things. Oh, uh, another one was that about the the affair of uh, of, of Linda Ramone and, and Johnny Ramone having come out of the, uh, the, the that time during shooting when uh, uh, 
Linda was was uh, around the the motel where the Ramones were staying, and and that's actually not true. That that during during the film, that's uh, during the the production, that's when Johnny and Linda were not Johnny, Joey and Linda were were first starting to get together. Hmm. So so it's, some band history was was, was uh, uh, clarified. I think the book addresses, you know, tries to set this right without saying to any that anybody's been wrong about it. I didn't point out where people have been saying differently over the years. I just sort of made the point, hey, it was Gene Siskel, not Ebert. And hey, this was Joey's time to for 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 falling in love with with Linda, not Johnny's. And uh, and then, you know, there was some you know, the, the Ramones are are are. Uh, they were a very dysfunctional band, and they never retreated from that. And and there's some some kind of sad in that they happened uh, allegedly, as far as I understand. There's a reason not to think that they didn't happen, but that you know that Johnny, this beloved rock and roll guitarist, this guitar god, was uh, was violent, and uh, uh, particularly against women. And you know, when you have one of your favorite bands and you find out that there's a there's a domestic violence type guy in in the group, uh, you know, it kind of complicates the the way you regard the material. Uh, at least it does for me. I, I I'm a college professor, and I, I oftentimes will have to say, here's a story that uh, is great, and we're going to talk about its themes. But I think it, we should point out that this person who wrote it uh, had some real you know strange ideas about life, say, or you uh -huh. know. We, here's a here's a, and i teach some some writing technique and screenwriting and so forth and i say here's a theory that i endorse but not the person who developed it and for this reason and uh because i just don't want to be associated with 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 that with malevolence and evil and, and badness and uh as a professional and i don't want to be seen endorsing the ramones uh, uh for for some of the screwy awful things they did there's a lot there's some attention to um Dee Dee's pretty serious drug addiction in the book too, and I had always known that Dee Dee was was a junkie and uh, and was very sad when he died. But then just sort of getting up close on it with some of the research, both uh, primary and secondary, meaning that I read the biographies of the band and and but I've also talked to the people who who knew the the guys in the band, and and you know when you're 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 heroes from when you're 14 years old turn out to have some some um dark streaks in them that are very uncomfortable it just sort of complicates problematizes my understanding and appreciation for the music yes we know everything about everybody nowadays um now is there a flip side to that where you've discovered something wonderful about an artist that you liked and that enhanced your appreciation for them even more or an artist that maybe you didn't even like and then you found out something very altruistic about them or something that you didn't know that makes you think wow this is really worth listening to now because of the person who created it i yeah and and indeed that that uh go, brings me right back to the movie and and i really I, I've, I've always liked power pop but i didn't really know it was called power pop until 10 years ago and and while the ramones are known for the hard fast sound that they cultivated they also wrote some music that just has the most beautiful melodies in it and uh it being the title track from the movie i want you around for instance and when i uh, was interviewing vera ramon who was uh, dd's wife 
he was his girlfriend when when he when when he wrote that song for the movie. I was just like, wow, you know, he, Dee Dee was so in love with Vera. I want you around because uh, he'd been with some some dangerous uh, characters. He'd been with a, a violent prostitute was his girlfriend for a while, and, and then Vera came along and she was this nice normal person who was a secretary down in the garment district in Manhattan and was also a model. She was very, she still is very, very pretty uh, uh, woman. And, and to see that that song, which to me just sounds so sweet and tender and it still kind of rocks. It's the, mm -hmm. it's the, the, the movie where, where if you, if you know the movie that, that uh, uh, Riff Randall has smoked a joint and, and the Ramones are suddenly in her bedroom somewhat serenading her uh, yeah they are really serenading her with their their this beautiful power pop song and and so you know the process of, of writing the book I I, I I I I I felt so much harder for that song that I've always always really loved and and no amount of um knowing what a a creep uh some of these guys could be can really you know, impede my, my, my pleasure. It, it's something that, that came out of the process of writing, knowing the love story that is to say behind the composition of I Want You Around and the hopefulness that Dee Dee had for changing his life. If, if you know, now that he has the right gal, uh, the right companion, the right love, uh, and, and it just, I don't, I don't know. I can't, it's, it's, it's not political. It's not moral. There's a, there's a, there's a power to to that song and 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 the backstory and it just it, 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 i still love it i'm probably going to go and listen to it right after we we, we finish <laughs> yeah. here. everybody should uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well the story that, uh, in your book that uh pj souls who plays riff randall uh told you about finding her famous satin jacket at fred siegel and then having to fight rod stewart for it was great um, can you tell me a little bit more about your interviews with her and who some of the other people from the film that you talked to? Okay, so PJ Souls, and, and this was, uh, I, I was able, because I had done work, the scholarly work on New World Pictures and Roger Corman, and had made many contacts with the people who worked on, on Rock and Roll High School, uh, you know, I was, um, I, I was assisted with, with, with reaching out to her. And um, uh, PJ Souls is, is is a delightful person, absolutely a, a, a gem. And uh, and she got back to me, and and her attitude uh, while we were getting started on the interview and eventually conducted it was, you know, since you're the person who's writing the story that will be, you know, hopefully remembered uh, by posterity, we've got to get this right. We've got to get the whole story out. And and so she and I just talked probably for an hour and a half over the telephone. And uh, I just, I, I understood why she's, she's a beloved figure. She's not as famous as, as so many other um, actors are, but, but, you know, when you see that she was in Carrie and she was in Stripes and she was in rock and roll high school, you're like, Oh, her. Yeah. We know her. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so talking to, to PJ and then we've had numerous email over the years and, Making sure that she got you know her signed copy of the book and so forth. Um, she just proved to be one of these people who uh, uh, ha has you know a good heart, good good compassionate uh, 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 wiring in her system, uh, 
So we not only talked about the movie itself, but, you know, I found out that bits about her life, too. And, you know, her, the, the whole thing of, of being totally weirded out by by uh, by by meeting the Ramones and, and having <laughs> um, Joey, you know, sort of getting on, on on top of her for a shooting scene. And he, he just and, and, and spit as he's singing into her face is falling into her mouth. And you're like, mm. Oh, my gosh. She's yeah. she's. She's she's very uh, accessible as a person, but she's also very funny, and um, so so that that was that was a, a, a highlight of my career and the, sort of the openness that she showed. And you know, the other day we have a little kitschy store in this town where I live, this city where I live uh, in Southwest Utah called St. George. It's a combination candy store and um, rock and roll memorabilia and movie memorabilia. And I was just poking around in there the other day, and I find this framed photo, uh, a, a still from from Rock and Roll High School, where where Riff, uh, you know, R PJ is, is sort of marching uh, the Ramones down the hallway of the school, and it's signed right there, PJ Souls. And I, I can't tell you how special that just made me feel. I was like, yeah, it's a sort of a validation of my work as a as a writer. But there's PJ Souls autograph itself. It's almost sort of holy. For a, a, a you know cult film guy like like me, yeah. And, but uh, so it's the other part of the question, can you tell? Can you can you? Hit yeah. Me with um, well, I mean, since much of the cast unfortunately is no longer with us, who else were you able to talk to, uh, get fresh interviews for the yearbook? Okay. Well, you know, Alan Arkish, who is uh, is truly you know he's a, he's a, he's a brilliant filmmaker. He's not so famous, though, uh, because he largely worked in, in television. But Alan and I, you know, we got to know each other. And I, and I had had conversations with him before uh, for, for previous scholarly projects. But it, it got to be that, uh, you know, I, Alan and I could, uh, if I had a question about the recording sessions uh, with Ed Stasium for for uh, the, the two so new songs for the movie, I want you around and, and, and rock and roll high school. I could send an email to to Alan, and he would reply. And it, it's it, he he just you know very very gracious person. It's so knowledgeable. It's it's about film and film history. It's it's humbling. Uh, and then I, I I met these two fascinating characters uh, named Mark Helfrich and uh, Kent Beta, who. Form the uh, the editorial team. We're parts of the editorial team who hashed the the film together in a in a, in a crummy little uh, editing uh, suite in Hollywood, in really skeezy Hollywood, late seventies Hollywood. Yeah. And and you know they love punk rock. They just love it. And and Mark was telling me stories about rolling around with the Ramones. He would drive the Winnebago sometimes, pick them up at the Tropicana, and then Kent had done an article on the Ramones and Kent, Kent Beta is, is, is really extraordinary. He edited, or he was an editing assistant on rock and roll high school, but he also worked on the unheard music, the, the, uh, the X documentary. And he, he cut, uh, this is spinal tap. So three of the, oh, the, really? the, the big cult rock and roll movies, this one, uh, you know, the, the hands of the, this editor, Ken Beta are, are, are on them. And, uh, I got to know uh, Monty Melnick, who was the road manager for the the Ramones, and, and um, he's a he's a gracious person. 
he has an excellent book too for for Ramones Maniacs. He he's got a book uh, called On the Road with the Ramones, and and it's it's it, it has, it's it's truly an oral history, and that you have all these different voices telling the story of the band. By the way, and uh, I got to and and there were some some interesting encounters too. I, when I grew up in the '80s, you know, Danny Fields was everything. He had he had he had found he had discovered the Stooges and he had discovered the Ramones and he had worked with Lou Reed and and you know I, I had a little bit of an exchange with Danny Fields and Legs McNeil, the great 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 uh, uh, rock and roll uh, writer, and, and also John Holmstrom, who's the illustrator that who founded co-founded with Legs McNeil Punk uh, Magazine, the 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 the, the graphic fan magazine that that ostensibly permanently welded the, the term punk to that music that came out of the uh, Lower East Side uh, in, in the mid 70s and onward. And so so there was a lot of kind of I don't know if fanboy is the right word, but I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm communicating with this person whose work I've been admiring since I was 12 or whatever it was, you know, and and uh, so it, it's been it, it was it was just, sorry but that's always the, the best part of the, the writing process i find is just to do the research and to go out and, and and contact people another thing that came about too as i mentioned is that i really enjoy power pop music and uh which is heavy on the surf surf sound and right. uh and and uh there there's a there was a, a wonderful act it was a sire recording act uh, called the Paley Brothers, and uh, Andy and Jonathan Paley were these 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 young guys who were were doing power pop in CBGB and 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 uh, Max's Kansas City, and 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 Sire Records signed them, and they knew the Ramones, and and they had cut a song with the Ramones, a cover of the McCoys' "Come On Let's Go," which is also a, a, a Richie um, Richie Valen song, and and. Uh, I always mix up Richie Valens and Richie Havens for some reason, but but the the uh, I, I I reached out to Andy and Jonathan Paley and asked them for their story. I'm sorry that that song, uh, "Come On, Let's Go," the McCoy song, winds up on the soundtrack of the film, and I wanted to get the story of that recording of the Paley brothers uh, uh, going into the studio with their their friends, the Ramones, in L.A. and 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 creating the, the, the this this really fantastic song, and so I'm interviewing these people. Andy and Jonathan, and and I then I actually I wrote a, a, a huge feature about those two afterwards, and so for for a rock and roll nut, uh, you know, I mean this sounds profane, but I you know I almost worship rock and roll uh, more than I worship God, you know that it's <laughs> rock and roll is my reason to be, yeah, and here and and so you have these spinoff projects that that come out of it, and um, so so those those are some of the joys I, I was you know when I would kind of get bored of doing the, the the research on film and film history i just plunge right into the music and uh and i always like the the takeaway that comes from these projects the the sacrifice may be oh i don't like the movie as much as i used to if i've been writing about it uh or i don't like the director anymore i'm sick of it that's what's happened to me previously but the the rock and roll high school uh, uh project really expanded my my sense of what's out there in terms of fabulous music it like like again like surf through the 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 the, the ramones song uh that 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 joey wrote uh, uh the title track rock and roll high school 
it is it is is a, a lot like a car song from 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 the 60s car surf whatever you want to call it uh that that you know whether it's brian wilson or it's uh uh who the 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 gto the people who did the gto song um you know or go little honda go any of that kind of music Oh, yeah, Jan and Dean. yeah yeah all that i mean before you know it's always been around but by writing about it and exploring man you know my rock and roll heart it's like the grinches it's four times larger than it was before i know so much more so there's been this enormous takeaway for me And I haven't, while I know more about the Ramones now than I ever wanted to know previously, uh, I, I, I know so much more about music and where pop and rock and punk all come together. And it's it's just, you know, I'm at, this sounds ridiculous, but I, I think I'm a happier person for having written that book because I know more about music now and there's more ways for me to to enjoy my life. Yeah, well, I mean, the readers aren't the only ones that are being educated then, which I think is always one of the most interesting things and most fulfilling things about writing nonfiction is the research and what you can bring to that with your own flair. Um, now, Alan had said that you were relentless in your research and there were endless detailed questions. He said there were over 300 emails between the two of you over the years. And you did say that when you're doing research, you can flip back and forth between, say, the movie and the music so you don't burn yourself out. But do you have any other tips for nonfiction writers on how to stay the course over such long periods of time? It's it's work every day, work every single day. Uh, the procrastination will kill you in the end. And uh, I, I, I feel enough pressure when I'm working on these things, working every day. I can't imagine skipping unless I'm totally burnt out or some family thing has come up. But uh, uh, you, you have to do that. And and uh, to, for, for the, the, the accumulation of text. But it's much easier to to do the preliminary research as well. So I had the advantage of writing the book, knowing quite a bit about Roger Corman, New World Pictures, the Ramones, and uh, and the film Rock and Roll High School. But with my my eighteen month um, uh, uh, plan, I spent the first six months basically doing research. And using everything that's out there, whether it's the interlibrary loan system here at our university or contacting the Motion Picture Academy and their, their collection at the, the Herrick in Beverly Hills or getting on the phone or sending out emails, reaching out. You know, I tried to, to contact Chris Stein of Blondie at one point because in the film there's a T-shirt with Deborah Harry's face on it. And I thought, what did Blondie have to say about Oh Rock yeah. and High School. And, 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 but he turned me down. Um, and, 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 um, so, you know, you just keep, you just, you, I spent one third of the time doing my research, one third writing, and then one third cleaning it up, mopping it up. And, uh, and then the, um, the, 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 the
that pattern of research, writing, and mopping up. And and, oh. and also, if I may add, Stacey, yes. it's, it's, it's being nice to people, too, and respectful, and not being some sort of glommy sycophant who is, is you know, the, the, the term is fanboy. That, that doesn't doesn't work. You, you, you can't be a kiss up. You can't be a gusher when you're talking to celebrities or people who are established in the entertainment industry. You just frank, confident, straightforward and, and, and don't sell them out. When, I, I know so much more than I actually let on about my my writing projects, uh, because, you know, sometimes to, to, to let out some of this stuff wouldn't be in the service of anybody. And, and, you know, so, so, you know, when to kind of keep things mum too, and it's all, it's constantly about being judicious and being a good manager amidst the sort of the chaos of, of life in general, I think. Well, your work is not over after your book is published because you've been making a lot of appearances and giving talks about the book. Um, can you fill me in on that? Is that due to the larger publisher that you've been able to connect with this time? And, um, you know, what's that been like for you? Well, it's been a case of, of good luck in many instances. Uh, our, our, our mutual friend, the, the novelist and college professor, Jared Keene, um, you know, he, he, he's been, we, we're mutually supportive of each other. And and he's been giving me some opportunities. I've been giving him some opportunities, and from that, you know, more opportunities develop. Uh, uh, the the uh, 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 an album cover designer named Spencer Drake, who worked uh, uh, with the Ramones and and with John Holmstrom on on on, on, on cover uh, covers for records. He's been helping me with getting some uh, podcasts, and and uh, I think what I. I I think it's really fortuitous that uh, not fortuitous, but really favorable for the, for the book and, and the attention it's receiving that the Ramones don't go out of style. They, right. and, and so I think there, there will always be an audience for it. And uh, so people re have been reaching out to me. I, I and I, I, that, that, that's it. I, I, I'm tapped out with that, that response. Right <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Now, did you ever get to see the Ramones uh, perform live? Yes, I did. It was, uh, well, first time I actually saw the Ramones, were, I was living in, in New York City for, for a couple months, and I was in line at the, the, the Chemical Bank on, on Broadway. Uh, it was such a different time in America. They had a piano player in there, uh, sort of banging away on, not banging away, but playing Liberace style um, um, music in this bank. And three people ahead of me uh, was was Johnny Ramone, and I wow. thought, oh my gosh, look at that! And then another time, I was uh, I was in the in, in the village somewhere, and on Bleecker Street, as a matter of fact, and I see Dee Dee walk along the sidewalk, and he's got his uh, he's got a, a, a female companion on each side, and he just had this big grin on his face, and uh, uh, th this was after he, things had soured uh, between between him and Vera, I take it. And and so I'd seen them in person, and then I had this this incredible uh, turn of good luck. And uh, I went to the to school at the University of Maryland, and uh, the campus brought the Ramones, the guys who played the music for the movie in which the kids blow up the school. They brought the Ramones to the college campus, and they did a free show. And I watched the 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 crew set up 
uh, uh, stage, and they put up fencing around this outdoor stage, uh, and, and it was on the the um, the mall, the, the the strip of grass in the center of campus, and see these guys come out. It was just a forty-five minute uh, set, but it just blew my mind, right? As, as, as the expression goes, and 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 the kids who were in the audience were shaking the the chain link fence around the stage, and you know that was when Joey was wearing those kind of gloves that were his fingers, the leather motorcycle or oh, yeah. workout gloves, and 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 hiding his face with his hair and thrashing, and and oh man, you know you just don't forget that, so. Uh, so uh, uh, nothing. I was not a not a person who would get in the car and drive up to New York or, or down to Miami or whatever to go see the Ramones. But I I, I saw them in person on 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 those three occasions and and their favorite some of my favorite memories as a matter of fact. But like every author, I'm sure that you already have at least one idea for another book. Um, can you share any details about what we can expect from you coming up in the future? That that Paley Brothers article that I I wrote uh, after the the book it runs ten thousand pa- uh, ten thousand words, and it's for a, a magazine called Ugly Things, and it looks like they're going to run that piece in its entirety with a lot of photos. So uh, I, I'm just uh, uh, very very happy about that. And right now I'm doing some uh, some screenwriting projects. That's another thing that's come out of um, uh, my my work on, on New World Pictures is that I've gotten to know producers and writers and editors, and I I, I set them up as sort of my teachers, my mentors, and and I've been developed. We've been a producer, and I've just been been working for some time on um, a sort of a, a updated uh, a take on uh, some, some some ancient Greek uh, literature putting it into the the uh, the modern world. I'm sure that you'll have a lot of people wanting to read the book now. I want you around. Um, where can fans get it now? And where is the best place to find and follow you on social media? The, the stock answer is always Amazon. Amazon has it in, has it in stock and, and, and Barnes and & Noble. I've also been um, communicating with the uh, Punk Rock Museum in Las Vegas, and uh, I'm seeing about getting it stocked there oh, as well. Oh, that's a perfect fit. Yeah. And I also have uh, a website, and it's uh, I'll, I'll I'll say it, and then I'll sort of give the the spelling of it. It's Stephen B Armstrong. Wait, what is it? Stephen B Armstrong dot com. Yeah, Stephen B Armstrong dot com. And the way to get to it is S T E P H E N dash B dash a-R-M-S-T-R-O-N-G dot com, Stephen B. Armstrong dot com. And uh, it, 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 it has pictures of me doing a book signing, for instance, with at the American Cinematheque in Santa Monica with, with Alan Arkish and one of the screenwriters uh, from Rock and Roll High School, um, a, a wonderful person named Rich Whitley. Another That's been another uh, uh, positive um, outcome from writing the the the, the, the the book is is getting to know the screenwriters themselves. I'm also a professor here. Uh, my my um, I'm in the creative writing program here at Utah Tech University, and I teach in the English department. Oh, all right. Well, thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate your time, and um, good luck with the book, and congratulations on such a major accomplishment.
thanks, Stacy. It's it's really wonderful to chat with you, and um, thank you for your support and friendship. Before I go, I just want to let you all know that there are two brand new Rock and Roll Nightmares books out. The first one, which is book eight in the series, is called Parallel Lines, and it's a speculative fiction multi-author collection that answers questions like, what if Led Zeppelin had never released Stairway to Heaven? What if the Manson family were not Beatles fans? What if Rob Halford had come out 10 years earlier? The other book is a fully illustrated edition of my short rock-related stories. It's a mix of fan favorites and has three brand new tales that are set in a haunted record store, on a cursed island, and on America's most bloody byways. That's it for now, but do stay tuned for Volume 10 in the Rock and Roll Nightmare series, a nonfiction book called Blood on the Tracks. This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series, too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R-O-C-K-N-R-O-L-L-Nightmares.com. Our official theme song is She's Out for Blood by Fuzzbuster, founded by Lars Cabot. Thank you for listening. <laughs>